Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Oh, great. Good morning. Welcome. So my name's uh, Paul Dutton. serve as part of the leadership team here as the pastor at Thurfield Chapel. And um, we're back in Luke's Gospel. So uh, I don't know how many of you were frantically trying to look around this weekend to find where you put your Bible journals. I know there is a number... Uh, even within our household, there was that question. Well, I've moved it, though. I've put it away somewhere safe. Um, so if, it looks like most people have found them, or they've taken new ones from the back. But either way, uh, you've got them ready. Yeah, we're, we're going to be going through uh, Luke's Gospel. Um, again, if you haven't heard uh, any of the previous talks in the series, I encourage you to, to go back because... You know, there's, there's so much, particularly in this passage, and we can't touch on everything. Uh, I, I don't want every sermon to be exactly the same. You know, if you go out for a meal, go out for a nice Indian, you've got your rice, your poppadoms, your, your sort of, uh, your curry, and then your sauces. You don't want them to all be the same. It's when they come together. And if we try and get balance in every single sermon, it's going to be a bit bland. So there'll be things that we can't touch on this week, but hopefully we'll touch on them in other weeks, or we've touched on them before. So yeah, do... Do have a, a listen back if this is the first time that you're here in Luke. But with that in mind, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to open up uh, in Luke's gospel again. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your continued uh, goodness towards us, uh, and we pray that we would see uh, more of your goodness, more of your grace uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to him uh, as we spend this time now meditating, thinking uh, on what it is. Uh, that we have read, that we have heard. Amen. So a London newspaper decided to conduct uh, an experiment. They got a guy standing outside Oxford Circus tube station uh, handing out flyers. And on the flyer was the offer of five pounds. All you had to do was take the flyer back to the guy and there and then uh, he would give you that, that five pounds. This guy stood outside Oxford Circus tube station for about three hours. And over that period of time, you know, countless people walked past. Uh, Many people took a leaflet, but in that period of three hours, only 11 people uh, came back to receive that five pounds. See, the majority of people thought they kind of knew what this was all about. We walk past people with flyers all the time, don't we? So lots of people just refused to accept a flyer. Uh, those who did take one just then dropped it in the bin. And then those who read it just didn't believe what was actually written on it. And sometimes we can miss out because we assume knowledge. No, we ignore, we dismiss what is offered to us because we think we already know. We think we already know what is being offered. And that happened in Nazareth in Jesus' day. The people of Nazareth assumed a certain knowledge. And we can do exactly the same today. Now, there are lots of cultural assumptions about Jesus. We live in a country that has been shaped by Christian values. And there's lots of good that has come from that. Education, healthcare, human rights. Many of the things that we value in our Western culture find their origins in Christianity. Our country has been shaped by Christian beliefs. And there's lots of good that comes from that, but there's lots of assumptions that come as well. 
And it can be easy to dismiss Christianity because it seems familiar. As we live in this culture, we think we already know what it's about. Now, perhaps you're listening to this this morning, whether here, whether online, and you're not a Christian. Let me encourage you to, to not bring those cultural assumptions to who Jesus is, but now let's look and see what Jesus is really like, to put those cultural assumptions aside. But actually, that's true for all of us. Now, regardless of how long we've been a Christian, regardless of how long we've been coming to church, it's not that we don't bring cultural assumptions. We just bring a different set of cultural assumptions with us. And it can be, in fact, easier for us if we've been Christians for a a good number of years, if we've been coming to church for a good number of years, to assume that, that we know, we know all that there is to know about Jesus. And we can bring these assumptions with us. And then sometimes we miss out on what is offered because we think we already know everything that there is to know. So this morning, as we look at this passage, let's try and put aside some of those cultural assumptions. Let's look at who Jesus is, what it is that he offers as he brings this message of good news. Two sort of headings as we go through this, we're going to see how this good news, it comes to the poor and how good news comes with power. Uh, But first, just a little bit of background. So we're in Luke's Gospel again. uh, And you may recall Luke's Gospel is written to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all that God has planned, of all that God has promised. And from the very beginning, God's plan and his purpose was that the blessing of his presence extend over the whole earth. But as humanity, we we reject that purpose. We think we know better. We make this assumption and we reach out for what we assume is life only to experience death and we reject the kingdom of God we reject the light for the dark and instead of this blessing extending curse extends sin and decay and death they begin this relentless march and every kingdom every movement every person now has succumbed has been overpowered by this relentless march of sin and decay, and death, until Jesus. As God enters the world as one of us, he does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then the last time we're in Luke's gospel, you may recall this thing, early November time, uh, we saw Jesus there uh, in the wilderness, his temptations in the wilderness, or rather his triumph uh, in the wilderness. And that relentless march, that, that tide of sin and decay, and death that has swamped over everything gets halted and it gets pushed back. And Jesus turns things around. And so as we come to today's passage, uh, have a look at verse 14. Jesus returned. He returns from this triumph in the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. See, this is a moment now where everything changes. Because now the king has come. Now at this moment in Luke's gospel, we see the kingdom of God breaking into this world with power. So the first thing we're going to consider is how this good news comes to the poor. Uh, So Jesus uh, comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue 
as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, so Jesus uh, goes to the synagogue uh, in Nazareth, the, the local place of Jewish worship. And, and at that time, uh, the custom, the tradition was that you would stand for the reading of Scripture. Now, when someone came to teach, the person who was teaching would sit uh, and they would teach. So Jesus is given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, one of the books in what we call the Old Testament. And he stands up then because he's, he's reading from the scroll. And from Isaiah, we get this message of good news, a message of good news that we see that is to be proclaimed to the poor. Now, when we think of the word poor, we tend to think in economic terms. And whilst that's true, it's really too narrow an understanding of how the term poor would be understood then. So to be poor in those days, it meant more than just a lack of money. It was a lack of status. It was a lack of privileges. It was a lack of social mobility. To be poor was to lack the resources to better yourself or to better your position in life. So to be poor was to be without hope. The hopeless. Those who have no hope. Uh, And it's to those who are hopeless, those without hope, that this message, that this good news is proclaimed. And perhaps today, sitting here or or watching this, you have that sense of hopelessness. You feel without hope. God feels far away. The dark seems to be encroaching in your life. You're unable to pull yourself up out of the pit. Well, Well, if that's your experience, there is good news. There is good news for you. Good news for the poor. Good news for those who feel they are without hope. But what is this good news? What is this good news that is proclaimed? We pick up again in verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So there's this proclamation of freedom, and this word freedom is translated uh, elsewhere in the Gospels as forgiveness. There's freedom, there's forgiveness. The pattern that we see in Scripture is that our sins separate us from God, and that we are handed over to these dark and these oppressive forces that we have chased after. Uh, And then Freedom is about being released from that slavery, released from that bondage, brought out of that kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, being brought back to God, being brought into his kingdom. And this is brought about through the forgiveness of sins because it is that which separated us uh, in the first place. And the imagery that we have here in this passage is one of debts being canceled and of people being released from slavery uh, and oppression. Has the world, humanity, been enslaved to sin and decay and death ever since we turned away from God? And yet now here is this message of good news. 
this proclamation of freedom. Good news that is given to the poor, to those who are helpless, who are hopeless. But it's more than just a proclamation. If you look at the end of verse 18, uh, the passage in Isaiah goes on to say, it's to set the oppressed free. Now, actually, this is a combination of several passages in Isaiah. It may well be that Jesus uh, read a more extensive portion from the book of Isaiah. But notice the addition of those words there, to set the oppressed free. And what has been spoken of here through the prophet Isaiah is not someone who's coming proclaiming this message, not someone who's simply declaring, but that this person who has come to deliver, not just to give this message about the oppressed being set free, but to actually set those people free. And so in verse 20, Jesus rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits down. This is a sign that he's about to teach. And he begins his teaching by saying what? Verse 21. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is Jesus teaching the people in the synagogue. He's doing kind of what I'm, I'm doing here. And Jesus begins a sermon by saying, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying the me in this passage, that's referring to me now. Jesus says, I am the me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me. He has sent me to proclaim. And Jesus says, that's me. This is fulfilled. I am bringing this to fulfillment. I am the one who is spoken about in this passage. Jesus says, he is the king. He is the anointed one who has come to deliver this message, but not just a message that he's declaring, but he's bringing deliverance, true deliverance. He just doesn't deliver the message. He delivers the people that this message comes to by setting people free, bringing them out of that kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom, the kingdom of light. And Jesus says, I am the one who is doing this. And this is where the people find fault. Verse 22, they all spoke well of him. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then we read, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So they're impressed by this general message that Jesus delivers. But then they say, but isn't this Joseph's son? We know him. Now, how how can this guy be the deliverer? This is the son of Joseph. It's a great message, but Jesus can't deliver on this. And the fact that that's what they're thinking is revealed by Jesus' response. In verse 23, he goes on to say to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. The ancient equivalent of us saying, Put your money where your mouth is. Now prove yourself. And Jesus goes on to say, You will tell me, do here." in your hometown, what we have heard that you have done in Capernaum. Now prove yourself. Because the crowd in Nazareth, they think they know Jesus. And they sit in judgment on Jesus. They say, prove yourself. But when, when we sit in judgment, no, we're not poor. It's not a position of helplessness. It's not a position of poverty. This is like someone coming on the TV show, uh, The Dragon's Den, if you watch it. 
who watches Dragon's Den seen it? Yeah, okay, some people know it. We've got some other examples. It's like someone coming into Dragon's Den, uh, and then they start questioning the investors about kind of their finances. This is like someone going to A&E and like requesting a CV of all the doctors who were there on duty. It's like someone who's in the middle of the ocean and saying, I want the lifeguards to just you know, do a few laps around the beach first because I want to see their level of fitness. Now, if that's your response, then you clearly don't consider yourself in a position of need. Now, the only poverty that you are demonstrating at that point is a poor judgment. And so Jesus says to the people in Nazareth, truly I tell you, verse 24, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Uh, and we looked at these passages over the last uh, two weeks of Elijah and Elisha. And that widow in Zarephath and Naaman, they were outsiders. They were ignorant, really, in their knowledge of God. And yet they experienced the blessing of God's kingdom. And here, Jesus calls this event to remembrance. And he declares to them, but there were many in Israel. Now, many who were in, so to speak, who missed out. And Jesus now, speaking to the people in Nazareth, to those who thought they knew Jesus, to those who are coming as judges rather than beggars, and Jesus says to them, the blessing of the kingdom is going to go to others. You are going to miss out. And they don't respond well to that. I mean, to get a sense of kind of that, that feeling... Imagine a family sitting down to hear the reading of a will of a vast estate. Then every single member of the family, you're expecting to get that lion's share because of your connection. And then the will is read out and every single penny goes to someone who has no family ties at all. And if any of you have seen the film Knives Out, you're at something of an advantage when you think of the scene with a reading out of the will and that exact same thing happens. That's kind of what is happening here in Nazareth. And so they go and they try to throw Jesus off a cliff. It's likely that they, they label him as this false prophet who's deserving of death. Again, it's, it's a bit like that family having the will read out and someone getting up and ripping up and shredding the will and saying, this is not valid, and thinking that by somehow destroying that document, now they're able to undo everything that's been said, and that they can keep hold of the inheritance. It's the equivalent of what the people are doing here. This thought of, well, we're going to label him a false prophet. We're going, to, we're going to kill him. We're ripping up the will. We're saying what is said is not valid, and therefore we can keep hold of what we think is rightfully ours. But this blessing of deliverance that Jesus has proclaimed, it doesn't come to those who seek and who, who grasp and, and fight for it. What is it that Jesus said? Back to verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The good news, it comes to the poor. Not to those 
No, who fights, who grasps. It doesn't come to us because we fight and we take on account of our own might. The good news comes to the poor. We are to come in our poverty and in our helplessness. Good news comes to the poor. But it also comes with power. Because remember, we see in verse 18, Jesus isn't just bringing a message about deliverance. He is the one who is bringing deliverance, who's come to set the oppressed free. And we see that in the verses uh, that follow, in verse 31, when Jesus goes to Capernaum. Now, later on, Capernaum's rebuked for their lack of true repentance. Now, but here at this moment, we see something of the kingdom of God coming with power. And what was proclaimed in Nazareth, what the people in Nazareth didn't see because familiarity breeds contempt, that is seen here in Capernaum. Jesus' power to deliver. This is Jesus working to turn back now that tide of sin and decay and death that has dominated the story of history for so long. Now, rather than listening to me just explain and, and try and give some examples of Jesus' power, there's nothing better than actually us just reading through this again. Paul says to Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. You're better to hear the Word of God than to hear me. Um, so uh, we're just going to read through these verses again. But as we do so, just take note of how Jesus' power uh, is demonstrated. There may be a few comments that come out as we go through it. So then... He went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. On the Sabbath, he taught the people. They're amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now, in Nazareth, they were amazed, but then they dismissed him. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Has you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I'm just going to stop for a second. It's interesting as Marie was reading this and just, you know, you see things fresh at different times. The contrast here between Nazareth and Capernaum. In Nazareth, it's the people who basically say to Jesus, go away, we know who you are, son of Joseph. Now here, it's the powers of darkness who are saying, go away in fear. Because they recognize who Jesus is. He is the Holy One of God. Nazareth, they thought they knew. Now here, the evil spirits do know and they are in fear. Because Jesus comes with power. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, so this is still the same Sabbath, the people have waited till the sun has gone down so that they can do that, that long walk because um, you were restricted at that time how far you could travel on the Sabbath. 
At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illnesses. And notice this as well. Laying his hand on each one, he healed them. They weren't a distraction to him. Each individual person, Jesus gives his care and attention to. You're not a distraction to Jesus today. As you're sitting here, whatever it is that you're going through, it's not that he's only interested in in some of the big issues in people's lives, but you need to deal with your own. See the care and the attention that Jesus gives to individuals. Laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now here we see the good news comes. It comes with power. And understandably, the people in Capernaum, they want to try and keep Jesus there, they've had this experience of God's kingdom. But Jesus says, no, the good news is not meant to be restricted to just Capernaum. It needs to go out. Uh, and this, this message that was proclaimed initially uh, in Nazareth, that then gets proclaimed in Capernaum, that gets seen in Capernaum, that message is to go out. Jesus keeps preaching in the synagogues of Judea bringing that message which he first began in Nazareth. And Jesus says that is the reason why he is sent. This needs to go out. So remember, from the very beginning, God's plan and his purpose has always been that the blessing of his presence, of his kingdom, that it extends over the whole earth. This is something that is to go out. And this good news of hope is not just something that was there for the people in Capernaum. At that time, in that day. And this is good news for us. Good news for us today. That Jesus is the one who brings deliverance. The good news, it comes to the poor and it comes with power. Jesus rescues us from that kingdom of darkness. Brings us into the kingdom of light. It brings us into God's kingdom. Now, of course, this... This passage as well, it also prompts perhaps something of a controversial question. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, I think we would all agree, we would believe that Jesus delivers us from our sin. Jesus has the power to do that. He rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. He brings us into God's kingdom that in Christ, in Christ alone, that is where we experience forgiveness of sins, that we are justified, that we are made right before God. Through Jesus' death, through his resurrection, uh, we get to experience that and his ascension, the pouring out the Spirit, new life. But we also come across this question, does Jesus deliver in other ways today? Like we saw here in the passage of Capernaum. Now, what, what about other forms of deliverance. Uh, and when I, when I talk about deliverance, I, I use a breadth. In that term, we talk about spiritual deliverance. There are physical deliverances. There's mental, there's emotional deliverances. And I, I think there's a breadth of what we see uh, in Scripture. And I know people have different views on this question. 
And I want to be sensitive, recognizing that when we come to this question, we come bringing something of ourselves often, something of our experiences, even something of our hurts and our pains. And it would be just much easier for me to sidestep this question and just push it to one side, but I don't think it would be faithful for me to do that. Should we expect God to do things like we read of here in Capernaum today? Does God powerfully deliver in that way? Again, as Christians, if we take Scripture seriously, I think we all agree Jesus still has power. God could do those things now if he wanted to. Jesus' power is not diminished. That's one of the things that we see in this passage. Jesus' power over the forces of darkness. Jesus' power over the enemy. Jesus is the one who is exalted far above all power and rule and all authority. And we would all say, God can do today what he did then. And also, many will acknowledge, actually in some parts of the world, we hear of some more, I would say, fantastic accounts. In some ways, they're not because anyone's deliverance from, from bondage to sin and being brought into God's kingdom is a fantastic work. But you kind of know what I mean. We see some of these more uh, outward, extraordinary acts of deliverance like we read of here in Capernaum. A radical change and transformation in people's lives, even physical healing. And we have this question, well, why sometimes do we hear of, of what's happening out there? And sometimes we don't always see it here uh, in our culture. Now, perhaps you've heard this argument um, before that miracles, healings, demonstrations of, of God's deliverance, some of these more uh, manifest deliverances that we see, they tend to occur in places where the gospel is breaking new ground. And they serve as a means of verifying that message of the gospel. And so that's why sometimes in, in places, in Muslim uh, cultures, in uh, tribal groups that we hear of, of some of these forms of, of healings and miracles and deliverances. We verify the gospel message in places where it's breaking new ground. However, you know, in places where the gospel message is established, then there's not that same sort of, of need for demonstrations of God's power. The gospel doesn't need to be verified in that way. And so that's why you know, in the West we don't always experience and we shouldn't expect some of these miraculous things to happen now that's an argument that's sometimes put forward I just want to suggest something else another perspective from this passage because whatever we think whatever we believe we just need to make sure that it's grounded in scripture so let's just put this forward as a as a possibility as well and let's test some of these different views might it be that some of our experiences in the West are so different? Because like the people in Nazareth, we assume a certain knowledge about Jesus. Because we've become familiar with Jesus. I mean, yes, we can say like the gospel's been, been established in this country for a long time, and we've assumed a certain knowledge. And the reason we don't see in Capernaum, sorry, in Nazareth, what happens in Capernaum, maybe it's because we're not really poor. 
that in the West we've become somewhat haughty and self-reliant. And we look to Jesus for a little boost in our lives rather than for a deep dependence. And so we don't always bring all our struggles to him. We don't even ask because we assume this knowledge of what Jesus is about. Because Jesus has been in the West for almost 2,000 years now, so we should know what Jesus is like. And then like that leaflet that's offering five pounds, we, we easily dismiss what is offered because we think we know what it's all about. Maybe that's a possible reason. And that's not to condemn anyone who is suffering. Now, Because you may be all too aware of your poverty and your need. Perhaps the rest of us and the church in the West are ignorant of our poverty to help. Now have a look at verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illnesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now people bring to Jesus those who are oppressed. It's not so much those who are oppressed who, who just need to have that acknowledgement of their poverty. It's the people who are bringing them. They bring them to Jesus because they are aware of their poverty, their poverty to help, their helplessness in them being able to bring deliverance. And so this need to, to come to Jesus. I know there's a, there's a lot more we could talk about on this, this topic. There's lots of questions that it raises. Uh, and I want to be a good listener in those questions. I don't have all the answers. I'm seeking to explore and ask these questions myself. And that's what we need to do with anything that we look at in Scripture. Just keep asking these questions and not to assume this view of Jesus that we have, but say, well, what, what is God revealed to us like? Now, lest we miss out on something. Lest we miss out on something that God is calling us to. So there are more questions to ask. There's more dialogue to go on. But you know, wherever we stand, I think at the very least, we can all agree that we as Western Christians, we need to acknowledge our poverty to help others. Our poverty to bring deliverance. Because there's so much that we can easily depend on in the West. You know, we have buildings. We have finances. We have programs. We have training. And we can easily rely on those things. But we need to acknowledge our poverty. I need to acknowledge my poverty. As I preach, I mean, how much time do I spend in prayer as part of my preparation is something that is always challenging. me. I can polish up on my technique and my rhetoric. But at the end of the day, that is not going to bring a change and a transformation in my life or in your lives. We as Western Christians, we need to acknowledge our poverty, that the power to bring deliverance, it is not in us, but it is in Jesus. And we need to bring others to Jesus. Bring one another to Jesus. And we do that by pointing to Jesus. And we do that by bringing one another in prayer to Jesus. So let's be praying for one another. Now, we have a prayer meeting this evening. I recognize that practically it's not easy for, for everyone to, to come and to get to that, knowing that we come from quite a distance sometimes. That's one way that we can be praying for one another. 
We can be praying for one another now after the service in ways that we meet up with one another. And as we, as we share with one another things that we are struggling with, there's an opportunity then for us to bring one another in prayer to Christ. I think sometimes we shy away from that. Sometimes we shy away from sharing. Sometimes we shy away from, from praying. But let's pray for, for one another. Now, pray for me after the service. Some people want to come and pray. I know, John, you love to pray, and it's great. I, I've had a, um, this is just a small thing. There's a root canal that's been playing up for some time. And I keep thinking, I should ask people to pray for me, but I don't. Let's push it to one side. Because sometimes it can seem a bit embarrassing. But you know what? Pray for me. Because I'm poor. I'm helpless. I need it's not the only thing you can pray for me. Many things you can pray. We can pray for one another. No, we, we bring our prayers. Pray for one another as we're sick. Pray for one another as we struggle with sin. Pray for one another as we feel oppression in all its different forms. Be praying for our friends and our families and our communities around here as they are blinded to the glory of Christ. Let's be praying that Jesus would bring about this radical change and this transformation because the king has come. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. It's not here in all its fullness yet. But the kingdom of God has broken into this world. So we can come to Jesus when we feel that the darkness is oppressing us uh, and seek and pray for his deliverance. Maybe sometimes we'll see that in the next day. Maybe it'll be weeks, months, years. Jesus does and he will bring deliverance. Because Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, this is why he came. He wouldn't be restricted to Capernaum. Now he has come. He has come to bring good news to us in our poverty. He has come to bring good news uh, with power. So let's seek him. And we'll do that now. Father, we thank you that, that your kingdom has broken into this world, that you have not left us in the darkness of our choosing, but in love that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we might be brought out of darkness and be brought into your kingdom, that we might know the forgiveness of sins and experience something of the blessing of your kingdom. Father, we praise you that one day that we will experience that in all its fullness. That as we look to Christ, as we trust in him, Know that we experience that life of the kingdom. And one day there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more tears. No, but even now we, we pray that you would bring about deliverance. That we would experience something of the future life of, of the kingdom, Lord, now. Now there are many ways in which we, we need deliverance. Lord, help us to just even to dare to ask. To not be self-reliant as we're so often taught to be in the West, but to, to come with you, to come to you, to come to Christ with that dependence. 
And Jesus, we thank you that you are exalted above all. Lord, and help us to see that more clearly. Lord, we need, we need deliverance now. First and foremost, I pray for this deliverance that we would have from this delusion that we are given in the West, that life is within our control, that we would see, that we would know our dependence, that we would not despise our helpless uh, state, but that we would come to you, Lord, that we would come uh, looking, Lord, to you, that our eyes would be set, that would be fixed on you, or that we would experience, that we would know uh, more of your power, Lord, your power at work in us. Father, that power to bring about change and a transformation, that same power that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, be at work within your church, not just for us here uh, in Thurfield, but in this nation, Lord, in the West. Lord, bring about a great revival, a great dependence, a great turning to Christ within your church and within the communities that surround. Lord, for you are the God who, who delivers. Lord, and so may we see uh, that darkness continue to be pushed back and the light of Christ Lord, shining Lord, through your church, through your people, out into the darkness, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website, or send us a message on social media. Thank you again, and please do join us next week, online or in Thurfield itself, at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.